in my 14-month tenure here at 630 Ched, I personally am going to attempt to pull off a conference call, a debate via conference call, ladies and gentlemen. If, if you've ever seen me uh, on a computer or on my smartphone, you would know that this is this is an ambitious endeavor for me to figure this out. But Gina assures me we'll be able to do it. Max Fawcett is going to join us. You've heard him on the show before. Uh, former editor current contributor to Alberta Oil Magazine, also the editor-in-chief now of Vancouver Magazine. Mike Holden's going to chime in as well. Mike's an economist. As a matter of fact, the director of policy and economics with the Canadian manufacturers and exporters. Both of them took part a couple of nights ago in an Alberta Views Magazine presentation, an event that they call Brews and Views. And it's exactly what it sounds like. You show up, you grab a frosty pint, and you hear a couple of people wax poetic on a given topic. In this case, they were talking about the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. The timing of this is very interesting because just about four days ago at an Oilers game, a Chad listener by the name of John was sitting in section 234. He was in row 34, in fact, and and he and his pal Lynn reached out to me on Twitter and said, "Hey, listen, uh, we've we, you know you all know that hockey brings people together." So these two had started talking in the row. I guess they both find out they're you know mutual listeners to this show, and and they start reaching out to me, going, "We need to talk more about the Heritage Savings Trust Fund." Why don't we talk more about the, you know, Alberta's savings account that, by the way, as of December 31st, was was worth $18.2 billion. Some people say it should be worth 10 times that much. Well, I just so happened to be flipping through the current edition of Alberta Views magazine, and I went, geez, well, I mean, sometimes the universe prompts. So, John, that was in section 234, row 34 at the last Oilers home game, you and Lynn are the ones that prompted this. We'll talk to Max Fawcett, Mike Holden in just a second. As mentioned... Hockey superstar, now country musician, Theron Fleury is going to join us in the 10 o'clock hour here in studio. Should be a great conversation. Of course, 1020, somebody's going to qualify to go see GNR in Las Vegas. We'll talk to Corey Crawford after 1030. His wife, Julie, now home after a GoFundMe initiative, saw the family receive $50,000 plus in about 48 hours from people who shared their goal of getting Julie home on a medevac flight from Ontario to Edmonton in the midst of the fight for her life so she could be there with her little guy for his seventh birthday. A very special story. We'll talk to Corey Crawford after 10.30. And a roundtable in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll talk to Lisanne Lewis and Kendall Barber. International Women's Day is coming up. There's been a call for more women in management positions in the city of Edmonton, women in business. I mean, on the flip side, like I said to Bruce, I feel a little bit weird sometimes talking about business and gender or politics and gender. But the fact of the matter is... I think we probably need to talk about it based by some of the responses, based on the responses we received a couple of days ago. It's safe to say some of you have no appetite for conversations about that, which makes me think maybe they're more important than ever. So should be a good roundtable coming up after 11. Let's not leave uh, Max Fawcett and Mike Holden waiting. Max, as mentioned, the editor-in-chief of Vancouver Magazine. Uh, Mike, an economist with Canadian manufacturers and exporters. Gentlemen, can both of you hear me? And, and more importantly, we'll figure out if we can hear you. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let me just say how, how honored I am to be part of this great moment in history. Oh, I know, right? I, I pulled it off, digitally brought you both in without a bump in the road, which now makes me think I shouldn't have teed it up so dramatically. We could have just rolled ahead. Max, no, no, just, 
You just took a gold at the Alberta Magazine Awards for, for your feature piece, Fear Factor, in Alberta Oil Magazine. A gold in the Alberta Magazine Awards. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It was your piece in Alberta Views that prompted this discussion. And, and Mike, thanks for being part of it as well. The headline reads, Is it too late for the Heritage Fund? Why did you feel it was so important to write this, Max? Well, it, it, it's a huge, I think, social issue. It's a huge economic issue. It's almost an existential issue for Alberta, what, what it has done with its, its wealth and what it will do in the future. You know, it, it, is it too late to, to build up a fund the size of Norway, as, as a lot of people like to talk about? I, I think it is, but I don't think it's too late to still get it right and, and, you know, save productively for the future, because there is going to be a future not so far away where, where oil and gas is not the main driver of Alberta's economy, and I think Albertans need to be thinking about that right now. Mike, before we get into some of the nitty-gritty details, this event that you and Max took part in on Wednesday night, where did you right off the bat realize that your views differed from those held by Max? Well, to, to be honest, I don't think they actually differed that much. It was uh, I, I had done some work um, before I joined Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters. I was the senior economist at, uh, at the Canada West Foundation, where I'd done a fair bit of research on and writing on, on this subject as well. And uh, I, I, for the most part, I don't disagree with with Max. We don't have. Um, I don't. I think it is too late to have a fund the size of Norway. I'm not even sure if strategically that would be a good idea, but uh, I think it is important that we start to save now because you know we've got we may have a hundred years supply of oil sitting in the ground right now, but we have absolutely no guarantees that we're actually going to be able to get all that oil out, and especially given the current focus on on climate change issues and some of the social license challenges that. Alberta oil producers and our pipeline companies are having, it's uh, all the more reason to start taking a good hard look at uh, at how much of that resource money we're saving for the future. Everybody wants to talk about Norway's fund, which uh, as of right now, according to your reporting anyway, Max, is worth about $1.1 trillion. Now, people that don't want to hear the comparison will shut it down right away by saying jurisdictionally uh, it's apples and oranges. You can't talk about a province with federal obligations and, and compare it to a nation with a more modest population. What's your take on comparing Alberta, specifically the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, and what Norway has squirreled away? I think it's a useful thought experiment in, in terms of looking at, at what is possible, um, you, know, you know, in different jurisdictions. Obviously, the, the fact that they're a country and, and Alberta is a province makes it kind of a non-starter. But I think it's useful in that it demonstrates that, you know, what would really be required for Alberta to save, you know, on the level of, of Norway is, is a similar tax policy uh, environment. And Norwegians pay an enormous amount of taxes compared to Albertans. They pay, you know, a 20% sales tax, um, and their personal and, and corporate income taxes are, are, are higher than Alberta's. So, I mean, the real point there, and, and it's sort of the, the nut of my argument, is, is that if we really want to save for the future and we really want to salt this money away for future generations, which is, I think, the, the ethical and, and fair thing to do, Everyone's going to have to pay higher taxes. That that is effectively what the, the Heritage Fund has been underwriting for for 25 years. Is we 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 have not saved so that we could not pay taxes. I'm not sure that's a great choice uh, societally over the long run. Mike, your take on that? Well, I think that um, as I said before, the idea of having a, a fund the size of Norway's is probably a non-starter. I don't think that Albertans have the appetite for that kind of a tax for the kind of tax regime that, that Norway has in place. I think that's also a non-starter. 
I think there are some measures that we can take to to move slightly in that direction. I mean, as it stands right now, I mean, oil and gas revenues fluctuate, as we all know, uh, pretty substantially from year to year. But on average, Alberta taxpayers pay about 70 cents for every dollar of government services that they receive. And that remaining 30 cent gap is is uh, paid for by, by these energy royalties. And so we need to bring that balance more in line. And to do that is going to require either some higher taxes or a, or a, some, a decrease in, in government spending. So we do have a a fairly high cost structure in, uh, in in government in Alberta compared to other provinces. I don't imagine that either of you w- would suggest that the Notley government could raise taxes on any other front right now without seeing absolute backlash, or would you? No, no I, I... Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. All right, I absolutely... No, I that, I think that would be a terrible idea, and uh, and I, I don't want to create the, uh, the, um, the sense that I'm suggesting that we need to start raising taxes now and, and raise them significantly. Absolutely not. I think that, though, um, where we have an opportunity right now is, is, first of all, obviously, in Alberta, we need to deal with the, um, the economic issues that we're facing and to bring our budget a bit more in balance, for sure. But once the oil and gas revenues, um, once oil prices start increasing again, which will happen at some point, they may not hit $100, $120, but they will go up again in a couple of years. Um, at that point, we need to start thinking about siphoning off some of the resource money as the royalties rise, so that we um, so that we can start building that fund up and and reduce the uh, reduce that kind of volatility that we that we face now. To give people some background, uh, the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund, established by then Premier Peter Lougheed back in 1976, the goal uh, to put away at least a third of the province's annual resource revenues. Max, as you report in your piece in Alberta Views magazine, since 2000, Alberta collected uh, just about $144 billion from the sale of oil and gas, total deposits to the Heritage Fund over those 15 years. 2.9 2.9 billion. You report meantime between uh, 2000 and 2011, so for that decade and a bit, the entire net income of the Heritage Fund was transferred to the provincial treasury in five of those years, while another four of those years saw at least two thirds of the earnings used to fund day to day expenditures. So the entire model, I suppose you'll say, is broken to a certain degree. It is, and, and is, you know, there's one thing about that that, that Mike actually pointed out at, at the talk uh, on Wednesday that was actually I sort of forgotten about, which is, you know, some of that money was used to pay down debt, and and that I think was a very smart decision because, of course, you know, if, you, if you're paying down the debt, then you don't have to pay the servicing costs on it, so you're, you're freeing up fiscal capacity for the province. So it wasn't all you know checks that that Ralph sent out to, to people, but. You know, by and large, Alberta was was using all of that that oil and gas money to underwrite. You know, not having a sales tax, having a flat income tax, um, and, and creating the so-called Alberta advantage. And you know, to me, it it, it doesn't really seem like a, a huge advantage. It feels like you're burning burning the furniture to heat the house, and eventually you're going to run out of furniture. Um, so it it feels profoundly short-sighted. But the problem with doing the right thing in this case is that it's politically toxic. So. It's much easier for a politician to spend money and not raise taxes and keep taxes low than it is to, to implement a sales tax and put in a more progressive income tax. So, you know, the right thing to do is also the most difficult thing to do. Mike, you asserted that this Heritage Savings Trust Fund should not be used as a rainy day fund. How come? Well, I think uh, that was, I think, one of the big mistakes when, when the fund was first implemented. I mean, I'm not sure that Peter Lougheed called it that specifically, but that became 
the name by which the fund was known. And the problem with a rainy day fund relates to what Max just said about about what's politically easy and politically difficult to do. And that is, you know, it's always raining somewhere in Alberta, and 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 that's the problem. So so through all this time, one of the reasons why all this money, um, the resource money, went into into general revenues is that. Uh, there was always a need. People always could make a convincing case for, you know, there are leaky school, leaky roofs in schools, roads need to be repaired. There are, there's always some compelling reason to spend the money now. And uh, in the face of long-term benefit versus answering short-term needs, um, politically we've, I mean, and this is the case just about anywhere around the world, there's a, there's a tendency to focus more on those short-term needs. And I think that's, uh, that's where the problem with calling it a rainy day fund comes from. Mike, do you under I, and I'm asking this from a point of uh, absolutely no knowledge? Would any government have the freedom to use the Heritage Savings Trust Fund as it pleased? I mean, I know you'll probably roll your eyes and want to stop me mid sentence when I put this out there, but if the NDP wanted to, let's say, eradicate the impact of a ten and a half billion dollar deficit, could they, in theory, dip into the Savings Trust Fund to do it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why they couldn't. Um, but I mean, at the same time, that that savings trust fund, the the returns on that provide about between one and one and a half billion dollars a year in 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 revenues to the government, and suddenly uh, that would no longer be available. And the idea of even if the fund is modest now, if we um, eliminating that entirely just to just to uh, um, wipe out one year's worth of deficits is uh, I don't think that would be a particularly good idea because it doesn't un- it doesn't address the underlying problem. Max, nobody forgets the 400 and some odd dollar check, the Ralph bucks that anybody living in Alberta about 10 years ago saw. I remember that I specifically used mine uh, to try to cut down future taxes I would pay in a sense, and I bought a radar detector. Uh, did Did either of you receive Ralph bucks, and do you remember what you did with them? I was not, uh, I was not actually a resident uh, oh, of Alberta at the time. So you were but, on the outside looking in. I was, but I had a friend of mine uh, at, U- at UBC um, who was from Edmonton, and he got a check even though he wasn't living in Alberta. So, you know. Wow. How about you, Mike? Did you get one? Uh, you know what? I didn't get one either. And, and the reason I didn't was because that, that happened right when I was uh, in graduate school, and I was in Ontario at the time for a year. And somehow, somehow I didn't get one, so I'm not sure what the problem there was. Well, I don't. I, should, I don't I mean, ask somebody. I mean, I don't mean to rub it in, fellas, that I got 400 bucks for doing nothing but living here. Uh, but, but Max, in a sense, I mean, yeah, sure, it was nice for some people. A lot of people I know probably were able to. I mean, that could probably really have desperately used it in some family circumstances. Others, I bet, you know, I mean, probably the odd person in Alberta didn't even cash the check. Uh, but why was it such a bad idea in retrospect? Well, it's. It's wasteful because it was it, the, the big problem for me with, with the way that the Heritage Fund has been managed is you're effectively taking a, a capital asset and then turning it into into cash and, and spending it. And that capital asset isn't there for future generations. Um, and I think the assumption was always, you know, certainly when people were talking about peak oil and $200 oil, that you know the oil sands would be you know the lottery ticket that kept paying out for generations and generations. But I don't think that's anymore. I think it's pretty clearly uh, a different situation. And, you know, future generations are effectively being stolen from or have been stolen from. Um, and, and they're going to look back and, and I think be a little bit unhappy with the way that that resource and that wealth was, was stewarded. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, certainly when, when 
you know, the, the government of Alberta was underfunding infrastructure and underfunding a whole bunch of other areas, you know, sending checks to people was probably not an optimal allocation of resources. But that was always Premier Klein's modus operandi was, was small government, uh, you know, cut taxes, empower the, the individual. So it fell in line with his with his ideological commitments. But, you know, long term, it's... It, it was not a good idea. It's that. one of those things that long term, it doesn't look great on the books, but people still smile when they talk about it. And it sort of rolls into almost a political legacy. Uh, I've got to fit in a quick break. When we come back with Max Fawcett and Mike Holden, uh, what should governments maybe be obligated to do with resource revenue? What would they do, Mike and Max, that is, if they were calling the shots on how Alberta allocates those dollars? More with Max Fawcett and Mike Holden right after this. Our guests out of the gates this morning, Max Fawcett, an award-winning writer, editor of Vancouver Magazine, former editor-in-chief of Alberta Oil, and Mike Holden, director of policy and economics with the Canadian manufacturers and uh, exporters. So, gentlemen, we left off with the question hanging, should a government be uh, beholden to its citizens, obligated almost to handle resource revenue in a specific way? Mike, what would you like to see? Um, well, I, whether they should be obligated or not, I think depends on on you know on, on the mandate the government receives. So I'm not sure that I want to impose that specifically. What I would like to see, though, is um, I think that I, I, I see no problem with spending at least a portion of resource revenues on on current needs. Um, but what I would like to see is anything over a certain amount. Let's say it's two or three billion dollars, or, or or some other amount. Can, that can be determined later. That because we have all these peaks and troughs in, in, in oil revenues, that anything over a certain amount would be automatically siphoned off and put into the heritage fund. And because the more we can build that up, the more of a, the more of a revenue stream, a, a long-term revenue stream we can get out of this. Because instead of, as Max said before the break, you know, in a sense, it's um, well, the the analogy that economists often use is, you know, we're we're selling the stove instead of making bread out of it. And so once you sell the stove, you can't make any bread anymore. And so what, uh, the more we can save, then we can have a perpetual revenue stream instead of just, uh, just spending it on, on current needs. And so as we, um, so, what I, yeah, so what I'd like to see is, is having that fund get built up and then the interest payments and the, the return on investment that we get becomes a revenue stream. And then whatever the priorities of the day are, we have the fiscal capacity to actually address those needs. Max, you point out that the Alaska Permanent Fund was established in the same year as Alberta's Heritage Savings Trust Fund, 1976. They've been managed differently, obviously. Is there something we can take from what they're doing up in Alaska? Absolutely. I think the Alaska model is, is infinitely better in terms of a, a role model than, than the Norway one because you know, Alaska is a state, Alberta is a province. They both have sort of similar uh, constitutional arrangements, I suppose. But uh, I mean, the thing about Alaska is they took it out of the, the hands of the politicians very early on. So they passed a constitutional amendment um, that basically made it nearly impossible for um, state legislators to, to dip into the permanent fund to pay for day-to-day expenses. They would have to you know, pass a, a bill with an, an overwhelming majority. And it just, it just put a, an, a layer of, of distance between politicians and, and the money. Um, and they also did something very interesting. They... they Created an annual dividend to Alaskans that they would get as part of uh, as part of the, the revenues from, from resource royalties. So, not like Ralph Klein's, uh, you know, Ralph Bucks, where it was sort of arbitrary and one-off and not really structured. 
you know, every year Alaskans get a report, uh, they get a check, they get an explanation of why their dividend check has gone up or down, and it sort of involves them in, in, in the conversation around saving and gives them an incentive to have a policy in place that saves as much of it as possible. So I think there's tons we could learn from Alaska. That Alaska Permanent Fund, as you know, worth about $72 billion. Uh, Max Fawcett and Mike Holden, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us this morning. No, thank you very much. Happy to be part of the great experiment. Great. Thanks very much, gentlemen. And it seems indeed that we pulled it off. Uh, due in no part to my efforts, Gina, of course, uh, overseeing everything technology on this broadcast each and every morning. And I'm grateful for that. What do you think about the setup, the structure, the state of Alberta's Heritage Savings Trust Fund. That annual dividend that Max talked about up in Alaska last year, 2015, it was worth $2,072 per citizen. Imagine getting a check like that every year. Then again, as mentioned, that Alaska Permanent Fund worth $72 billion, our Heritage Savings Trust Fund worth 18 Here's the news. Our thanks to Max Fawcett and Mike Holden for joining us off the top of the show to talk about the uh, Heritage Savings Trust Fund. It's, you know, it's, well, as Mike pointed out, it is not Alberta's rainy day fund. It is, though, exactly what it sounds like, a savings trust fund that that last year earned uh, with a 6.1% return. And you can find all this yourself at finance.alberta.ca. About a uh, billion dollars for Albertans, a 6.1% rate of return, uh, the fair value of the net assets as of December 31st, as of uh, the calendar year end, $18.2 billion. On the text line, uh, many of you have pointed out, and it's a good point and it's a fair point, that when we're talking about Alaska's permanent fund, that that state has a population under 740,000 people. So one listener says, you know, their infrastructure needs are dramatically different different than ours. Uh, Rich Texan goes on to say, you know, Alaska has less than 20% of our population. And uh, here in Canada, we don't seem to want to slow down. So dividend checks aren't even a consideration. And fair enough. It's a good point. And it's a point to be considered. But wouldn't it be nice? I mean, their dividend checks, more than $2,000 last year, our Ralph Bucks checks, what were they? Were they like 440 or something like that? Or they were 400 bucks, whatever the case is. Uh, it was a one-time deal. You remember back in 2006, people were calling for another round of Ralph Bucks. I mean, who doesn't want free money? But in the grand scheme of things, it's like, you know, maybe your parents or maybe a high school teacher Maybe it's your your grandma, somebody advising you that, you know, you may not want to save 10% of your first paycheck and every paycheck after that, or you may not want to put your Christmas money into the piggy bank, but you should, you know, instead of spending it all on, you know, Swedish berries and Slurpees, because it's more fun to have Swedish berries and Slurpees, but, you know, when you save it, you understand how it works and it starts to grow interest and, you you know... Down the road, you could even pay for things with the interest it earns. Brian says the government should be obligated uh, to handle non-renewable resource revenue uh, where only the interest should be used for government spending. The revenue should be directed into that account and locked in. Maybe even with a law that says money cannot be withdrawn unless, for example, a national disaster, natural disaster happens. He says, and even in that case, maybe just a 10% maximum withdrawal allowed. 
As mentioned, back when, when Peter Lougheed established the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund back in 1976, the idea was to put away about 33% of annual resource revenue for the future. But of course, it, it didn't wind up going that way. And I'll point to a number of different factors. And if you can read Max's entire piece in Alberta Views magazine, the financial crisis in 08, the collapse in natural gas prices. Alberta took in $8.5 billion in natural gas royalties in 2005. Four years later, that number had dropped to $1.5 billion. So you're talking about a changing landscape, to say the least. Stephen says if you have high taxes, people will invest somewhere else. Ambitious people that want financial freedom, they're not afraid to leave. Stephen says people in Norway don't have the same standard of living that we do. You see a lot of people living in concrete apartment buildings without the convenience of a car. Yeah, nor I mean it's such a different model in Norway, but Stephen goes on to say if you know, if, if government's sitting on a trillion dollars, don't you think they may have taken too much? He says, I'd like to keep my money. Lyle says, give everybody what they want, tax, spend, borrow to oblivion. Uh, And then he says, oh, wait a second, somebody's got to pay for that. Chrissy says, yeah, it was 400 bucks, those Ralph bucks, and and says they've recouped that cost 100 times over. We loved Ralph and our Ralph bucks. I was 13 when I got it. Chrissy says the government wastes money in worse ways than that. I'm happy even now that that money hit my family's pocket. Well, yeah, you... I mean, especially when you're 13. Who doesn't like 400 bucks when they're 13 years old? That that the Ralph Bucks initiative was worth a, it was a, it was 1.4 billion dollars. Can you imagine? I mean, obviously, completely different time, different government, different economic climate. But can you imagine if Rachel Notley took $1.4 billion out of the budget to just funnel cash back to us. It might be a popular, I mean, for a lot of people, that you know, people talk about populism in politics. Rowdy, Rowdy Yates listening in says, the logic of your guest doesn't make sense. Which one, Rowdy? Let me know. It says, uh, suggest government cuts on one hand, but doesn't seem to support Ralph's small government regime. You can't have the best of both worlds. Another says, governments should also cut their own copious wages and benefits. We should be talking about that. You know, we could talk about what the CTF is saying. We just heard about it in the news nine minutes ago. Canadian Taxpayers Federation wants teachers' salaries slashed. So they've declared war. Almas in the Park says uh, Norway's tax dollars are directed to areas that benefit the populace long term. They don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Alberta's situation is the polar opposite. No discipline. Steal from some areas to cover costs in others. He says while Norway's taxes are high, the structure there is very disciplined. Topher says there's just too much fear-mongering going on right now. This is great. A lot of people have chimed in with what you did with your Ralph bucks. Martin says, I bought beer with mine. Another says, I kept Ralph's rebate receipt and I paid my utilities. Another says, I learned how to lose at poker. Yeah, everybody did their own thing. Gina, were you in Alberta when the Ralph bucks were handed out? Do you remember what you did with your $400? Do you, do you Paid bills. Paid bills. Nothing, yeah, nothing I mean, it was just, too sexy. You no, just, not at all. You were practical with it. Absolutely. Good for you. I felt like it was. It would be frivolous to spend $400 on a radar detector, if, but, but not if it was free money. Some of you are burying your head in your hands right now. I might have said that on purpose. 
Rowdy goes on to say, by the way, my worry when someone mentions cuts in government spending is, is the concern that, you know, we could be talking about cuts to education, you know, investing in our youth and education, Rowdy says, needs to be along the lines of more of a long-term perspective. It needs to be our long-term future, we consider. Rowdy says, I would pay higher taxes if I knew it was going straight to education. Fiducci says Norway has done well and the oil royalty plan is way better and another listener just says, how can they tax us more now when the entire country appears to be against oil? It's interesting, you know, remember when, when Ralph Klein referred to the Eastern creeps and bums, it was a pretty unpopular thing to say politically. It may have resonated here in Alberta, but on the text line, and I, I, every once in a while I consider taking a photo, like a screen cap of our text line and sending it out because, it's, you know, we, we get way more, we receive way more than I can possibly read. And I do as much as I can to get as many out there. But I mean, the obvious reason I'll just tell you why we can't screen cap is because everybody's phone numbers show up. But messages like this one out of Stetler just says, transfer payments to lazy parasites in the East. And that's not the only one along those lines. I don't remember, even two years ago, I mean, there's always been kind of a little bit of animosity between Alberta and Quebec, let's be honest. Not saying there should be, not saying that everybody feels that way, but if you deny what I'm saying there, you're probably just not paying close enough attention. That's been there for a long time. And there's always been the attitude. I mean, the Reform Party essentially built itself up on the premise and the commonly held belief in this province that Alberta, you know, is that Rodney Dangerfield effect. Didn't get no respect from Ottawa. So that that sense, that that feeling, that vibe has always been here, but Lazy parasites? I mean, it, it, the hyperbole is really ramping up. I mean, it doesn't help what Denny Cordero, the mayor of Montreal, is saying. It doesn't help that Quebec's seeking an injunction against energies. These things don't help, obviously. But, I mean, are you, with, are you feeling what I'm feeling? Are you feeling like the tide is turning a little bit and it looks like it might be some nasty turbulence ahead? We'll be right back. Following our conversation about the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund, we've we've started, you know, sometimes you, you never know what element of a conversation is going to pick up steam, so we just throw out there, you know, just the, the, the uh, casual musing. What did you do with your Ralph Bucks? How did you spend that 400 bucks? We're getting testimonial after testimonial. George says, I remember getting my Ralph check. Isn't it, isn't it just interesting even what we call it? Remember, it was called the Prosperity Bonus. That's what it was actually called. But Ralph Bucks. Everybody, you know, Ralph, right? Ralph and Rachel. We refer to our premiers by the first names sometimes. George goes on to say, when I got my Ralph check, processed, it was mailed out from the province of Quebec. What? Really? He says, what was up with that? He says, the news media of the day never called that into question. We never got the story behind that action. George says, from Quebec? Really? Is that true, George? I don't know. I didn't have the check in my hand long enough to read it. RS Soda Fox Creek says, the lack of respect from the East is growing toward Alberta. It's also being generated in in our own legislature against the majority of Albertans. Don't forget, both governments can't say that they speak for a majority of us. 37% is not a majority. Well, yeah. Technically speaking, you're right. It's not a majority until your party's back in the majority. Then it's a majority again, right? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. 
Sylvia says, you watch, Ryan. It's happening again. If Energy East doesn't go through, reform will be the least of their concerns. Alberta separatism sounds better to me. That from Sylvia. Sarah says, Ottawa doesn't respect us. We're like a dirty pair of boots. Somebody else says, yeah, don't forget Ralph's comment about the the one-way Greyhound tickets. You remember that? Ralph Klein, back in the day, gave Alberta welfare recipients one-way bus passes to B.C. Remember that? And then B.C.'s government at the time, which was an NDP government, by the way, responded with a three-month residency requirement for anybody who wanted to collect social assistance there. So the provinces kind of went head-to-head there. It was nasty. Robbie on the text line says, I'm a liberal. I'm from B.C. originally. I have to tell you, though, that the Quebec provincial government has me mad. Robbie says the hypocrisy of them dumping billions of liters of sewage. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Says attempting to get a court injunction against Energy East, pushing a concrete plant through without completing the same environmental assessments they're demanding of us. Robbie says it's reprehensible. Tom in Sherwood Park, on the other hand, says to, to call Quebecers parasites is offensive, to say the least. Oh, geez. He says, I liken Quebec to the proverbial trophy spouse that works hard at every club, gym, and volunteers for every good cause, but contributes little to the family coffers. I love it. And Tom, way to be sensitive and go with trophy spouse. Well done. Well played. Listener to Lacklebish says Ralph was a little like Donald. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I've never interviewed Donald Trump. I've interviewed Donald Trump Jr., as a matter of fact. Sat down with him. That was interesting. I did have a chance to interview Ralph Klein, and I'll tell you, uh, you know that Ralph was a a television reporter himself before entering politics, and uh, it was tough to keep that man on track. An interview went where Ralph Klein wanted it to go. But, Tom, I will agree with you. To call anybody a parasite, offensive to say the least, we can agree there. Theron Fleury just looked through the studio glass and gave us the thumbs up. The former NHL star, now a country musician, is going to join us here in studio just after the 10 o'clock news. We'll fit in the last break of this hour. We'll get back to the text line. And Gina, I'm I'm hoping we can even find a couple of minutes for the mailbag. We'll see what happens. We'll be right back. The text line's heating up. Once we start talking about Alberta... And the lack of respect that many of us feel from the East, well, there's no shortage of opinions. Dave, I mean, Dave says, if you had a family member that was selling deadly drugs and giving you part of the profits, would you accept it? He says this principle should apply to Quebec. They don't want Energy East because they say that, you know, we're killing the environment, so then maybe they shouldn't partake in any of the profits via transfer payments. That from Dave. This is is kind of the attitude a lot of people have right now. Yeah, you don't like it? Well, you know. It's not really how the politics of the situation work, but but when you boil it down, I get it. Because people picture Alberta writing a check to Quebec and Quebec spinning in our face and taking the money, right? And then paying for daycare with it, and then you're paying for your daycare. And I get how people boil it down to that. No, there's you know small details everywhere that would fly in the face of that, but I'll take the point. RS, by the way, has chimed back in from Fox Creek. You remember he said... The 37% is not a majority, and they said, well, until it's your government, well, he chimed back in and says, actually, I've even said that when conservatives were in government. It says, government needs to be accountable to the people at all times. 
says RS, don't assume anything, good sir. I'll take your point. Hey, G-Money, we have a minute. Can we dive into the mailbag? Jerry took a second to swing on by 630ched.com. The show's link is how Jerry sent me this email. It says, uh, the subject line, why we've lost the oil market. Jerry says, the primary customer for Alberta oil has been the U.S. The bulk of our shipping capability has been to the south. Over the last 10 years, the U.S. has changed from being a net importer of oil to being a net exporter. Uh, now they don't need and they don't want our product anymore. Shale, oil, and gas along the Atlantic seaboard and the Bakken Reserve in North Dakota have changed the North American energy equation. He says they don't need Alberta oil. And Canada, meantime, hasn't bothered getting east-west shipping as each coast receives overseas oil. Now that the U.S. is shipping oil worldwide, they've become our biggest competitor. Their seaports can ship as easily as they received it years ago, while at the same time we're up against Quebec and B.C. who want to block Alberta's ability to compete. He says it doesn't matter much. If we get pipelines approved in the next year or two, customers will already be buying American oil while we are still developing our capability to ship. Jerry says the road will be tough for Alberta for a long time to come. You can be in touch with the show anytime we keep a working stack of responses to subjects we've covered, and I have no doubt our next guest will get people talking as well. NHL All-Star, Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, now country singer, Theron Fleury joins us after the 10 o'clock news.